I'm your host, Rhea Wong. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Nonprofit Lowdown, video edition. Today, my guest is Vanessa Wakeman of the Wakeman Agency. We are going to talk about PR broadly, but specifically how women and folks of color can position themselves as thought leaders in the space. Welcome, Vanessa. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation today. Oh, I am so excited. So, Vanessa, you have had a long history in social change, uh, in PR, you started your own PR firm with no experience, and now it's a top firm. You help nonprofits to get you know, more visibility for themselves and therefore generate more income and revenue. Um, and you also have a platform called She Roars, which is about training women and women of color to be more visible in the nonprofit and philanthropic space. All right, so tell me a little bit more. What have I missed? Tell me about your path to where you are today. Sure. So um, I started the agency, actually, this will be our 17th anniversary. So I started the agency in 2003, really trying to figure out what work I wanted to do that I was passionate about. So I had a sort of um, professional history working in corporate spaces where I had always done really well, but it wasn't work that I love and that I enjoyed. And so I decided if I was going to work and put the effort in, I wanted to do something that I love. And one of the first things that came to mind was was event planning. I don't know where because I had never done that. Um, and uh, my first client was a nonprofit, and I love the direct connection between the work that we were doing and their ability to deliver change. And I was hooked from there. So 17 years later, we are one of the uh, agencies in the country focused on social change and really trying to work with organizations to help amplify um, their mission and the people that lead them. Okay, so. Can you break this down for me for like the total newbie? What is the difference between PR versus marketing versus communication? I would say marketing is sort of the umbrella sort of discipline that people most often point to. And there could be under marketing, there could be PR and communication. So marketing is often sort of promotional. Um, are you doing a campaign to try to get create more awareness? Maybe it's not driven in sort of the, the messaging. Maybe it's visual. It could be some advertising. And there for PR, the traditional definition of that is really focused on media relations and the other sort of steps and strategies you can use to create awareness and influence people's behavior. And communications to me, I know sometimes we use them interchangeably, but communications to me really sort of speaks to the ability to message and help people understand exactly who you are. So that could be positioning, that could be internal communications, not from a media perspective, but how are you communicate with your employees and all of your other stakeholders. And I think particularly now during COVID, um, we're trying to get people to think more about communications. How are you speaking to your stakeholders, whether that's your donors or your volunteers or your employees? On the question of PR, you know, as someone who used to be an executive director, I'm always obviously looking at the bottom line and never more so than now. And so it feels like PR is a luxury and like the first thing that you can cut out of a budget. I'm just wondering, how, how would you make the case to a cash-strapped nonprofit that PR is actually essential for the work? The reality is in the U.S. alone, we have more than 1.5 million nonprofit organizations. Um, and we know that there is a finite pool of money. And so the first thing that I like to think about is you want to create awareness for your cause. You want people to know who you are and understand why they should support you, uh, why they should donate to you, why they should be advocates for you. Uh, and while there is certainly some 
some things that an organization can do just by nature of their work where people will understand who they are. Sort of investing in public relations really allows you to reach a broader pool of people and not only create that awareness, but to me, good PR also lends itself to um, catalyzing people into action. So there's a hundred ways that you can do sort of awareness. How do we make people aware? You can write something on your blog, you can network, like there, there are those kind of things, but PR, great PR, there's always some type of call to action included that really help people to understand um, what the problem is, how they can be a part of sort of the solution and like what are the actions they can take. And so I think a lot of organizations just because of their their own budgets are always thinking about this is a nice to have but i always tell people to think about like what would be the benefits and so let's try to think through the return on investment in a way that you can really see and understand how we can position the organization how it can position the organization's leadership and if there's an opportunity to really create energy around the work that will help the campaign pay for itself yeah so like what kind of roi would you be looking at because I'm just, you know, and I've had this conversation with my board members because they see my PR line every month and they're like, well, what do we get for that? Right. And, and then the other piece too, around social media is like, well, why can't we just do our own PR? Like, why can't we just tweet at New York Times reporters and get a piece in the Times? I was like, because it's relationship driven, but tell me a little bit about how do you measure ROI with PR, which, you know, again, is not immediate in the sense of like a fundraising campaign. So, so yeah, um, thank you for mentioning that. So unfortunately, people think that, you know, two weeks out into doing a campaign, that they're going to be covered in every outlet, everyone's going to know their name. Um, and I like to say that PR is really like a slow buildup of awareness. So we've had clients who've had wonderful press mentions, um, and that again, this focused on media relations, and didn't sort of see the results for that for maybe 12 to 18 months. Um, but it's also thinking beyond media relations. So the, in sort of the old school of thought around PR was how many media hits did we get? Were we on, you know, in these publications? And sort of the newer model, the model that we like to share with our clients is to think about the entire landscape of, you know, your stakeholder audience and what do each of these groups need to hear from you? So we're not only doing media relations, we're shaping how you're messaging, maybe your email um, blast, your, your, your digital strategy. We're trying to focus on what is the donor's journey who, when they go to your website, what are they seeing? What is the experience that's being created? How are you sort of showing up? Whatever the area of focus is, is there an opportunity for us to like hone in on your thought leadership in a way that blows everyone else out of the water and really trying to create like that universal holistic approach to everything that is being communicated about the organization is uh, sort of collective and it's sort of cohesive and so that people really get an understanding of who you are. Sometimes what happens is there's a lot of fracture in communications where the board chair is saying one thing, the CEO is saying something else, the staff is saying something different. And so making sure that everybody is saying it authentically in their own voice, but really understanding who the organization is, what they're doing, and why it's important and urgent in this moment. Last point about communications and PR, Vanessa. I'm wondering, what is the difference between crisis communication and non-crisis communication, because obviously right now in the wake of COVID, we have 
a lot going on. Things are changing rapidly. Uh, folks kind of don't even know what next month looks like, not to say nothing of next year. And so I'm just wondering, like, what are some of the key components of effective crisis communication? Uh, effective crisis communications is put together. There's a plan in place before you're in a crisis, right? So planning during a crisis, yes, sometimes that needs to happen. But hopefully that there were some proactive sort of thinking about what are the different areas of vulnerability? Where, where are the risks that we can sort of think through now while we're not in a crisis? So if these things happen, we know what our next steps will be. So using COVID as an example, nobody expected this. Um, there, right, there was no way to sort of plan for this specific example. However, some of our clients who we have done crisis communications plans for, they had at least a framework, a playbook that they could pull from and say, okay, this is not that specific instance, but there are some similarities. And so this is the plan we're going to execute on. We know that, you know, in the crisis, this, we have a decision tree where the lead communications person or our COO knows to let the staff know we're going to be working remotely. This is the information that needs to go on our website. And here's the person who's responsible for that. This is our approval process. So one of the things we do when we're building out a crisis communications plan, we do an audit to sort of understand the organization's potential weaknesses, like where, where is your weakest link? Who needs to be communicating if there is a crisis? Is it your CEO? Is there someone from one of the uh, departments? Is it the board chair? And then we also do what we call um, crisis simulations, a crisis drill. Um, so I've been uh, nicknamed the mistress of mayhem because I sort of scare people. <laughs> Uh, we do these simulations and really try to find like the worst possible scenario where they're most vulnerable, like something that would make them lose half of their sort of institutional donors or big scandal, really sort of, you know, kicking the tires so we see how people react. Sometimes the most organized and sort of professional folks are not good in a crisis. Like they could be, you know, really solid every other time. So trying to understand what the personalities are, what the challenges are. Um, is this going to this lead to greater risk? and really walking people through those things and making some recommendations about how to proceed. Um, and also on the crisis side, we are developing a crisis app um, because we have found how sort of unprepared organizations were. And so we're hoping that the app will help them to think about proactively planning for their crisis. Yeah, that's really helpful. Can you give the folks on the call some ideas about what they can start to do today to kind of DIY this, you know? Um, so I would definitely say to have a conversation with your entire staff about where do they feel the organization is most vulnerable. It is very common for the leadership to have one idea about vulnerabilities and the people doing the actual day-to-day -day work having a very different idea about what the challenges are. So get that information together just to see where you are. Um, understand in like what are the top, to not over yourself. Think about what are the top three scenarios within what comes forward from that exercise and then identify what steps need to happen. If um, we there's a scandal with our you know board chair, what needs to happen? If somebody does something on social media, what needs to happen? And right, go through the different scenarios and who would be in charge. Um, one simple thing to do is create a decision tree, right? Um, think about a fire drill. Every office building, there's a fire marshal, fire captain, et cetera, where they, there's a plan in place. If the fire alarm goes off, I take these three actions. I call this person, I make sure that the building is, you know, has been evacuated. If there is a crisis, 
who should be contacting who, who has the, the authority to execute and declare a crisis. The simple steps like that are really helpful. And then depending on what the resources are that are available in the organization, think about the messaging. Like what are the three, four key points that you'd like to make in those scenarios? And visit this information often. Um, it's not a plan to sort of um, write and put in a drawer. We recommend a quarterly just review. Maybe the person who was in charge of you know, notifying everyone is no longer with the organization. So just making those simple updates just helps a little bit. Yeah, that's super helpful. Thank you so much, Vanessa. So I'm going to pivot a little bit now to one of my favorite topics. So as you know, both of us are passionate about supporting women and folks of color in the nonprofit Absolutely. world. And I, I wonder if you could speak a little bit about She Roars because, you know, one, one of the things that has always been sort of top of mind for me is how do we elevate, you know, folks of color and women who are largely, you know, on the front lines of the work that we do, but we often don't hear from them as experts in the field. Like, you know, the New York Times is not necessarily calling the folks who are doing the work behind the scenes are calling, you know, the executive who mo more often than not are tend to be white. And so I'm just question is sort of like, can you talk about the work that you do? And can you talk about why is it important that folks of color and women really think about themselves in a thought leader position? So uh, part of our PR work has been around thought leadership. How do we help to elevate the profile and the expertise of leaders in the nonprofit sector? Uh, and in doing this work, I realized, and to be honest, it wasn't sort of like an immediate aha moment. It took me a little time, but I realized that men were very much more prepared and comfortable and confident with being thought leaders. So literally we'd work with a male leader um, and you know they sort of come in and say, okay, you've cashed out check. Um, I want to be famous. You know, how long will it take to make me famous? Right? Like that, that's sort of the, the mindset and the energy that we get. And then we'd have these really brilliant women who would be pushing, like pushing up a hill, pushing up a hill. So like, are you ready now? Are you ready now? And it's always like, oh, as soon as I like do this last thing, like once I get this last sort of hit this next milestone I think I'll be ready so uh, the joke I like to tell is a man could come into a room the room with there's no lights on in the room you, you know he'll turn the light switch on and it's like I gave you light the woman invented the light bulb like and she's like no the lumens aren't bright enough I wait until it's 10,000 lumens right like, so it's like what you invented the light I know I know really trying to um, help women understand the value of their contributions. And so some of the challenges that I've learned just through studying this um, sort of subject is that there's the sort of gender socialization, socialization that we've had as children, as girls sort of, you know, don't, you know, um, you know, be likable, be nice. And so having a different opinion and introducing something new is sort of counterintuitive to that thinking. Um, in professional spaces, there's a lot of pressure on women to, you know, if you're the first one in a role, you want to make sure that you don't mess it up for the next one. If that's a woman, if you're a woman of color, the stakes are even higher. And so that, that sort of brings in hesitation about how we approach thought leadership. Um, and so often we are sitting in these roles, you know, head down doing the work without really understanding the power, because it really is a power, the power that we have to create change just through our body of work. And so what we're hoping to do with She Roars is help women understand how to develop a thought leadership platform, but also understanding what's in it for them. The nonprofit sector, quite frankly, is really built on this idea of sacrifice, right? If 
you're not sacrificing, you're not doing it right. And I'm saying uh, as an outsider, insider, that no, let, let's no longer sacrifice. Let's think about what is the opportunity to create real change, to create legacies for ourselves, so that when you're ready to sort of go to your next thing, there's no question, there's no hoops you need to jump through. You don't have to sort of show, you know, show them and prove you've already done that. And just by being you and sharing your insights and knowledge. Yeah, 100%. That resonates so much. So I've spoken about this before. Aside from my professional nonprofit network, I also have a network of Asian American professional women called Asian Boss Ladies. And it's this amazing group of very accomplished professional women cross sector. And so many of them have this like embedded insecurity, like, oh, but I, I couldn't speak. I'm like, listen, if you who graduated from Wharton and Stanford Business School and Harvard Law don't feel like you're worthy of speaking, then who who is, right? You gotta do it. I know. We we have a joke that we uh, say around, which is like, God grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man. Preach. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, let's talk about thought leadership. So um, what are some actionable things that people can do to start thinking about positioning themselves as a thought leader in this space. Because I think aside from like the personal stuff you have to get through, uh, there's also some strategic tactical things that you can do. Absolutely. So the first thing I will say is to have some original thoughts, right? So sometimes I'm being very candid and transparent here. Sometimes people think that they have some thinking that is thought leadership worthy and it's not. It's just a repeat of what someone else said. And so think about what do you have specifically to uh, that's unique that you can contribute to the conversation that can shift behaviors. And so if everybody is saying that the only way to sort of solve this problem is to go left, but you have a theory that going right will get you there quicker without less challenges and roadblocks, then, then say that. Um, so definitely is to have original thoughts. And it's also to not worry. Sometimes people get stuck on this. I have a small following or such and such as a thought leader because they have 10,000 followers. There's a lot of people with millions of followers saying the same thing that everyone else is saying. And so that's popular. I want to just make the distinction. There's popularity and thought leadership. Thought leaders influence us to behave and think differently. So to do that, you have to be introducing something new. Um, And it can't just be like, "Hmm, I was outside taking a walk and I think it would be a great idea to do blah, blah, blah. Like there should be some sort of, you know, research evidence-based, you know, sort of idea around it. So using your insights, your experience, if you're working in a nonprofit sector and you've been in a specific area of focus, maybe you're in hunger or education. And based on that, you have certain experiences that lend themselves to be able to sort of create a thesis around what needs to happen. Then to me, that's like the very first step you can do about thought leadership. And then the second thing is to think about where your voice fits into the conversation. And so thinking about who else is talking about this topic, what are they saying and what, why, why do I think what I am saying is different and how does that help? And then the third thing, and I think this is so important and I can't stress it enough, is to understand that thought leadership is a continuum. It's not a, you just throw your idea out there. It's like, I'm done. Look, where's the crown? You know, where's the thought leadership crown? It's, you're not climbing a hill and don't get to the mountain to place your stake in the ground. It's a continuum. And so your thinking should come, thinking should constantly be evolving because you're sort of digging deeper down into the topic. Every time you sort of think about this, there's more information emerging. You're sort of 
um, committed to understanding and studying this work. And then you also need to be okay with passing the baton when you think that you've extended it for as far as you can. Such good points. Let me ask you this, because I, I know that there are some folks thinking of this, I'm thinking of this particularly, which is how do you get over imposter syndrome, right? Because I think a big thing that holds a lot of women back is this idea of like, who am I to be able to say such a thing? Or like, what if I say it and people will, will think I'm a fraud or a fake? And so talk to me a little bit about that. So the, the, this, uh, and I don't think I've ever shared this with, with anyone, um, but the thing that I'd say to myself is like my mother, um, she passed away last year, but she was my biggest supporter. Her and my, my grandmother, my dad, they, they thought I could do any, whatever crazy idea I had. They're like, of course you can do that. And so whenever I'm feeling like that imposter syndrome, I'm like, who do you think you are? I'm like, oh, you're Sherry's daughter, you know, brother's uh, daughter and Marge's granddaughter. That's who you are. So it's like, you know what I mean? Like I, I have those ancestors behind me who are telling me that, um, you know, I am their wildest dream and I can do anything. Um, the second thing is to understand that the person who is doing what you think you can't do, they have imposter syndrome also, right? Like we, they're, they're, Michelle Obama said that she had it, right? You know what I mean? So like, I don't think that we should make the assumption that there is anyone who has not sort of second guessed you know like what's possible for them but the beauty in this sort of journey to me of life is that we do it anyway and so like what happens so i, I want to just throw a scenario out there what happens if you sort of share your thought leadership and someone says that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard one that means that they heard you right they, they had to listen and so your voice was heard secondly that also means that maybe there's a, another direction that you should be taking this or thinking about. The other thing is sometimes people, most people don't like change. And so I love when people tell me they don't understand what I'm talking about because it means that I'm introducing something new. So maybe I need to refine my approach or think through how to sort of get it across, but it doesn't mean that I need to abandon the idea and the concept. I also want to get back to something you said earlier, which is like the likability thing. So I, my, one of my cousins, has become like a TikTok influencer by totally by accident, right? But she's she got 1.5 million views in her last TikTok, but she was like, I'm so scared to do the next one. I was like, why? She's like, I just, I, how do I like match the success? Also, people are leaving mean comments about me. And I was like, so you're afraid people are going to be mean to you and therefore you're not going to post another TikTok? I was like, welcome to the internet, baby girl. Like, but I, I think this really goes to the heart of how we're socialized as, as women and girls, which is like being liked is the most important thing. And oh my God, what if someone's mean to me? And, and also in that, in thought leadership, um, maybe not necessarily fully mean, but people who are disagreeing or, or hating or questioning you. And so I have a lot of people that we've worked with who said, like, it's really uncomfortable when someone is disagreeing with, you know, like my perspective, or we have one client we worked on that thought leadership with, and she was heckled at a town hall. And I said, like, I know that was a scary experience, but that means that they sort of had to hear what you said and sort of process that. So they are understanding your perspective. Your, your thinking is getting out there. And there's usually some gems to be sort of gleaned from those conversations where someone's saying, I disagree. I think we should continue doing it the whole way. The people who are already agreeing with you, they're usually not challenging your theory so much and your thought leadership. So it's sort of looking at those other people who are the uh, sort of uh, naysayers to think about, is there any sort of logic or reality that I need to be thinking about based on what they're saying. Okay, so last question before I open it up to some, some uh, questions. When we think about thought leaders, 
I often think of people in the field who kind of have like the one thing that they're known for. Like, so, you know, the Simon Sinek is start with the why or like, you know, the Seth Godin and like his marketing thing. So is it important as we think about thought leadership to hone in on, on one idea that we're known for? Like Brene Brown, vulnerability, right? So that's a great question. And the answer is yes. Like it, it does take considerable amount of time to really be able to um, influence behavior. You're constantly talking about and you're refining your thinking. Um, you're opening up questions. It's just almost like nurturing like a, a, a something that's growing, a plant. Like you start with the seed and it grows as you sort of invest more in it. And so, yes, you do have to spend time. I, would, I wouldn't say that it's impossible for someone to be a thought leader on multiple topics topics, but it's rare. Um, and I think particularly for those in the nonprofit sector, when we're thinking about revenue generation opportunities through thought leadership, like it's very clear that um, individual donors and institutional donors love the idea of somebody introducing something new that they can get behind and support that has, you know, some really new sort of vision for what's possible. You want to focus on one thing to be able to sort of um, crowdsource as much of that money as possible to get as much support for what you're trying to do. So it just feels like consistency and focus on one message. Yes. We do have a question coming in from Art. Hi. Hi, Art. What's so, your question? Okay, so the, the, the question, I posted it in the chat, but uh, I just wanted to know, like, I'm, I may be the only man in the uh, group today, um, and I found that I have been using LinkedIn to build a, a large network and I'm connecting with a lot of people. And as I'm looking at people's profiles, I'm looking at their pictures, I'm seeing it's really, really top heavy in women. And so I am uh, a little teeny minority now in LinkedIn as being you know, a man, but I don't have a position in development or in a philanthropy. I'm on the outside with some software that serves that industry. So that's why I'm looking for people in, in LinkedIn. But as such, I'm finding women. Are you looking for women or specifically women of color to, to connect with in your business? Or do you just go to anybody? So, Art, first of all, thank you for being the, 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 lo the lone soldier here as the, the male representative. Um, so our SheWars program is for all women. Um, however, I, I do think that um, I am really you know, interested and eager to support women of color because we've seen the research that shows that the um, sort of opportunities for mobility for women of color in the sector are much smaller than um, women overall and uh, would like to sort of see how we can help women to sort of, you know, create that trajectory so that they can take leadership roles simply by sort of building their thought leadership and helping them to sort of, you know, identify what's next for them. So I have a couple of, of questions as well, but I'll, I'll start with the thing that I have been thinking a lot about is as we are supporting um, leaders of color to have greater visibility and credibility in the field and just to be supported and trusted in the way that others automatically are, how do we also make changes in the system around them, right? So that um, the funders, the decision makers, you know, fellow leaders who are not from margin uh, or communities that have traditionally been marginalized also have the skills and the, the equity lens to be able to, you know, receive and honor 
leadership and visibility from people of color. So Tracy, I don't think that the remaining time for this conversation, this, this extra 20 whatever minutes is- enough. We might need a whole series on this. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I, I think that's a, a really important question, something that I think we're all grappling with. Um, and I, I go back and forth. Some some moments, if, you know, if I'm being honest, I'm mad as hell. I was like, you know, like, let, you know, let's storm the gates. And other moments, I'm feeling like this is not a new problem. This is an age-old problem that continues to sort of present itself in different clothing. Um, and so I, I think for me, I, I feel like the better scenario for self-care and preservation is really around what do what can we do based on what we have control over and so sort of you know as you said helping women to get uh, gain greater visibility helping them to make sure that their voices are amplified helping them to understand that they are supported there's a network to help them there's resources they're not in this alone to me that feels like a much more nourishing approach than trying to change the minds of people who want hold the power right and so as you know the the, the oppressed trying to sort of change, you know, you know, reshape the thinking of the oppressor feels like that's a no-win game. Um, but I think developing your thought leadership and your expertise in a way that people don't have a choice but to want to work with you, want to sort of, you know, carry you on their shoulders because you have that, like, incredible vision. I, I feel like that's a much more powerful position, and that's what I'd like to help women get to. Um, thank you so much, both of you. I guess one question that I would have as someone who's relatively young uh, and is looking to enter, enter this like communications, marketing, um, PR field, is you talk a lot about how when you're going into a company and you're conducting an audit or um, you're being hired to like revamp the communications, people in the C-suite might be really reluctant to take um, anybody seriously, let alone a person of color or a woman of color. How do you sort of grapple with that um, friction uh and so that you can do the work that you need to do and actually get the answers that you came there to get gosh uh there's so many examples i can point to where so i just want i want to say i see you i hear you and i've had those experiences many many times and it's incredibly frustrating and it also makes you question sort of like you're like am i doing something wrong am i not you know capable of fulfilling this and i want to say that it has nothing to do with you and it's not your responsibility to try to change anyone's behavior or patterns um i would say try to identify sponsors and supporters in the organization people who have sort of, you know, some level of influence that can sort of help you to navigate the different spaces, um, to also think about, if one, is this an organization that you want to be with? And so I think that, yes, there, you know, as someone new to the field, you have to sort of show that you are credible and can do the work, but too much of a song and a dance and having to do extra more and above others, that's not fair. And so think about, if this is a place for you, like you want to be in a place where you're celebrated and supported and that you know that the work that you're contributing is appreciated. And if you find that after a while, if that's not happening and people are questioning it, think about maybe what your next move is. Like there's nothing that says we have to stay in spaces where we, that are sort of like, you know, eating away at us that we don't feel excited about going to work. I, I feel like for me during this time of sort of sheltering in place with COVID, I've been really mindful about like what's important to me and thinking of this as like the reset, like what things do I want to release? And so I know like this is not the best time to be thinking about, do I want to be looking for another job? But just remember that you have options, period, it's, oh, end of story. And you 
you can always call me. Your communications, call me and we can talk through it. I actually have a question as well, Vanessa, to go back to the thought leadership piece. So I think, you know, if we're brought into this idea of folks needing to be, you know, elevating themselves and their credibility as a thought leader, what's the playbook here? Like, do, should we like start uh, doing social media stuff? So should we start developing content? Where do we put the content? Like I'm a kind of pedal to the metal kind of girl. Yes, yes, yes. So um, one, start testing your thinking out. So in the workplace, maybe it's, you know, throwing out your premise for your thought leadership to a small group and seeing how that's received. Like, maybe I need to do a little bit more work on this. So like, oh, wow, people were really receptive. Well, there were some questions that came about. So sort of think about, you know, like the, the testing ground for your work. Um, write an article, right? Maybe one blog post and sort of put that out into the world, maybe on LinkedIn, on your website, wherever. Um, I'm all about repurposing. Take some quotes from that blog, put it on social media. Um, see who else is talking about that and chime in on those conversations. So one of the things I love for sort of like uh, thought leadership one-on-one is there are usually are people already talking about a topic where you can sort of introduce your thinking to those conversations and sometimes the fact that you have something different to say people be like hmm we didn't know this person existed or that this thinking was there I want to sort of hear more of this and so it helps you to develop your platform um, and then you I'd say that it's a slow process so again people think that oh you know I did this for 35 days and you know nothing happened I don't think you start to see any real movement until about six months. Not that you are officially a thought leader, but you start, people start to sort of say, hey, what do you think about this? Maybe somebody's calling you saying, hey, we're having this conversation. I'd love to participate. Would you like to be a, you know, a speaker or a panelist? So this is a continued consistent steps, um, but you have to be consistent. It can't be you do something today and then a year later you jump back in. You need to be consistent with it. Yeah, that's so true. Actually, before this call, Vanessa and I were talking about the fact that, you know, obviously I have a podcast, she has a podcast. I've been doing mine for almost two years and I get, you know, something like 250 listens per episode. And like, here I was thinking the minute I met in a podcast, like the whole world's going to listen to it. It's going to have a million downloads in one month. And that's just not how it is. And, you know, same for you too, right? That's like, oh, how, how come Nike isn't sponsoring me? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> how come Oprah's not calling me yet? <laughs> Art, I think you have a question, and then we're going to jump back to Tracy. And if anyone else has a question, feel free to jump in the pool. It's nice and warm in here. Tracy, I know you had some other things you wanted to add to the combo. Yeah. So my one other um, thing that I that I've been thinking a lot about is, you know, we're hearing a lot now about bringing our whole selves right to the organization. And as a, a, a black woman, um, my whole self is um, probably a lot more um, radical in terms of racial equity than even our my organization, right, is is uh, kind of positioned to hold. So when I have a personal deep commitment to an issue, how far am I allowed to take it without putting myself in jeopardy of being, you know, targeted or dismissed um, because the organization? And when I say the organization, I mean like um, even stakeholders around the organization might not be ready to handle some of that. I don't think I can answer that because I feel like there's an individual sort of response to that. Like 
Mm-hmm. I think that we all know, uh, whether we trust it or not, like our tuition will say like, mm-hmm, this, this scenario is not a safe one, or maybe this is not a place where I should be sharing this, or, um, you know, this, this group has uh, trouble or the challenge with sort of how I'm showing up. I always encourage everyone to show up as their full selves, you know, period, end of story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's sort of understanding the landscape, the environment where you are and knowing, you know, like what, what, what is, is the reward worth the risk in whatever yeah. scenarios? And again, yeah. what, what are the things that you're willing to sacrifice yourself for um, and, and not? And all, all under the, through the lens of self-care and yeah. taking care of yourself. Well, that is the priority. I, I do think it's an interesting question, too, because, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on thought leadership and thinking about folks in the field that are thought leaders. There is, there is like a... A degree of white privilege, I would say, with some of the thought leaders, like, for example, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk is someone I listen to. Okay. For those of you out there who know Gary Vaynerchuk, he's kind of like this marketing guy. He drops f bombs everywhere. He's kind of, um, he, he's very unconventional, let's say. But I also think about the fact that, like, if he were a woman of color, he certainly would not be received the same way, and he certainly would not have the same kind of license to act the way that he acts. But on the other hand, I think he's made that part of his brand. So I guess I'm just wondering what, what is that fine line between uh, playing the game and understanding how to be heard and to Tracy's point, being your authentic self and really like putting your personality out there. So if we're being completely honest, I think, and I'm gonna speak for myself, I think that I have to own and have some accountability around the number of years that I didn't show up as my full self and so then when I, when I did, when I was like, hey, wait a minute, why can't you be, like how people were a little shook? It's like, well, they didn't really know this person. So yeah, you need to give them a little time to make the adjustment, right? Um, but I, I do think that there should be sort of no um, compromise on that. Like if everyone else gets to show up as their full selves, why can't we? And it's uh, also in the workplace, there's this sort of conversation around assimilation, right? We have to fit in. It's like, well, who's sort of trying to fit in with us? And so I think that we owe it to ourselves. And if we're committed to this work around um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, there are things that we could be doing for ourselves. Not, I, you know, we, we can't try to change the mindsets, but showing up as our, ourselves means that there should be never a question of like, oh, we didn't know. It's like, well, how could you not? Because I, I've always been this way. Um, to speak about the, the issues that we care about, to be vocal, um, and but also to always make sure that you're sort of maintaining safety for yourself. Um, but I think that we we have, it's our birthright to sort of show up as ourselves. So when I was in corporate America, um, I was very much, uh, these are the things that I've been told, like, you know, you have to work harder than everyone else. You know, you have to show them, you don't want to be the angry black woman. And I sort of played that by that playbook and was like, this is frustrating and painful and exhausting. And even in the early stages of my own company, I even had people questioning me like the first two years um, and were very excited about the work of the company, but not excited about me as the leader. And I, I, I'm so embarrassed to share this. I remember saying maybe I should act like I'm not the CEO to see if that helps to bring in more business because I just saw how people were uncomfortable with a, a black woman sort of owning this company. And thankfully I didn't do that, but 
it took me a little time to just sort of be comfortable with like bringing my, you know, my full self, all, all every degree of me. And if it doesn't work for you, that like, that's your loss. <laughs> but I think it takes a little time to maybe, you know, get there. And I, I think to your point about PR, which is you, I actually saw this great quote recently, which is good marketing attracts great marketing repels. And so if you're a great marketer, you find exactly the people who want to work with you, who, who are going to be your super fans and not sort of yes. the general public necessarily. And that's exactly what happens. Yep. Okay. So wrapping up, I know as a, a PR communications expert, what are the three takeaways that you want us all to remember as we end this? The first thing I want you to think about is to understand what it is about your mission that can get people excited about your work. Um, and so, and also understand that your mission could be changing. So particularly during these times of COVID, maybe you worked um, your after school program working with students, uh, you know, education related. And now during COVID, there's been a shift where you all are now sort of, you know, working with them on, you know, other things or trying to serve other people in the community, maybe the elders. So making sure that you are actively thinking about what needs to be communicated relevant to what the moment and the, the temperature is of what's happening around you um, in the country. Uh, the second thing I think is to think about what conversations you can participate in. So sometimes you think that you have to be like the, the party starter. You could just be a guest. And so, so there's, there's a conversation happening about um, women's issues or, you know, we know that the majority of essential workers are women and maybe your organization is part of that. You, you can be sort of, you know, join that conversation, of, you know, maybe, you know, ask to be quoted about something, you know, have some maybe some data different driven points that you can contribute. So it doesn't have to be like a heavy lift. These are simple things. And the third thing is to really understand who your audiences are. So sometimes an organization will say, um, everybody's our audience. That means that nobody's your audience. And so like, think about, is it a, um, a middle-aged woman with income of blah, 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 blah. But, you know, it's just, this is second generation, you know, college family. Like, what, who are the people who you want to connect with, who you want to support you? And then figure out what the specific communication is for that group. Um, not everybody needs to hear the same message. And then the other, the last thing is try your hardest. Like, have as many sort of layers of review as possible, not to be tone deaf. And so just um, a quick primer. I've been thinking about the uh, sort of COVID crisis through four phases. So I said the first phase was fear. Like everybody was scared. We didn't know what was going on. And so that required one kind of conversation. And then we went into grief. There are people who we know who, you know, who have maybe passed away or others who, you know, we know their people have passed away. So it's grief. It's just this sort of like a feeling of like sadness and loss all around us. That requires another kind of conversation and communication. And then the third Third phase was sort of hope, like, whew, we've sheltered in place, um, things aren't back to normal, they maybe will never be there, but there's this hope that we are going to get through this. And so how do you connect that message, you know, to your audience related to the mission of your organization? And then the fourth phase, which we, we're sort of in a mix of a tiny bit of, you know, some grief, there's some hope, and then we're going to be going, I want to say probably midsummer, into what I'm calling the next normal now that we are in this new way of living, how do you sort of reset for your audiences? This is what we're doing in this new world. We're still here. 
That's so helpful to think about it in those phases. Cause I think, especially when we're in an emotional state, it's hard to think about it systematically. Vanessa, this has been so helpful. Where can folks find you if they want more of what you got? Sure, sure. <laughs> Come over. Um, we are at uh, www.thewakemanagency.com on social media. We are Wakeman Agency. My personal handle is Vanessa Wakeman. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, and I, I would love to hear from all of you, um, particularly those who ask questions. I want to know what's happening. And for all of you who were shy today, drop me a line anyway. I want to know what's going on with you. I want. I would like some thought leaders to emerge from this conversation. <laughs> yes, I totally agree. So I'll make sure to put all of your information in the show notes for folks. You know how to get in touch with Vanessa or get in touch with me and I can put you in touch with Vanessa. But Vanessa, thank you so much. This has been so helpful and so inspiring. Go out and be thought leaders, y'all. Yes, yes, yes. And what, if I could just make one more point. Yes, please. On our, um, we have another website just for our thought leadership. It's called Thought Leadership for Women. Um, we are starting another um, a round of classes, I believe, in September and would love to have you all join if you can. Awesome. Well, Everyone knows, be, be the boss of everything. Have a good weekend. Bye. Bye.